So this morning, I'm going to um, do the final in a, in a short series on character that I started um, several weeks ago. And um, so this series has been framed around hope, faith, and love. And we already looked at love and faith. And um, so this morning, we're going to look at hope. And um, we've had a little gap in this series because um, Trent's also been sharing. Um, and so we're going to have a we're going to start with a short little recap, um, just to help Janelle. And um, so if, if you've missed any of them, you know, check check them out on um, on the Liberty Podcast. You can just go to podcast.liberty.family, and you can see all the great stuff that we share, and go listen to them again. And so um, so. We looked at how character is a combination of things about a person that makes them different from others, right? And character is about, um, character is what you're known by. Um, Character is how people experience you. Uh, You're experiencing me through my character. Right now, there's a whole lot of mixed thoughts going through your mind. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Thanks for pointing out the silence there, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> so character is how people experience us, right? And I use the language of the character of the church. What are the things that the church does that, um, that's different from the world? What are the, um, the things that we're known for? How are people experiencing the body of believers? And we looked at this quote from Bruxy Carvey, which is, he says, We're not a peace movement or a social justice movement or a care for the poor movement who happen to believe in Jesus. No, we are a Jesus movement and everything else flows out from there. It's so good, eh? And so that although the church can do lots of great things and we should be doing great things, who knows that? We should be be, um, doing awesome things, helping the poor and, and, and bringing peace and all those crazy things cool things, and, um, but it should always come back to us being known as the people of the way. It should always come back to people recognizing us as disciples of Jesus, um, as followers of Jesus. It should always, everything we do should point back to him, and when they see him, they see the Father. And so I think there are three core characteristics that we should be known for, and these three core characteristics are anchored in the person of Jesus. And so just as a bit of a recap, as you know, we should be known as a people who action faith. We should be known as a people who abide in hope. We should be known as um, people that love with wisdom and understanding. And who knows that you can love and it can actually lead to a negative if we don't love in a way with wisdom and understanding. And so we looked at that in the first um, first session of this series. Um, We looked at love and how love needs to be, it really needs to be practiced with wisdom and understanding. Our our ability to love overflows from our relationship with him. Our ability to, to love overflows. And we talked about Philippians where it says to be filled up with love, but then keep going, not only be filled, but overflow with love. And, you know, that means that we have to learn how much we are loved. And that was great at worship. You know, in the end there, we were just really, 
we're saying we love you, but it's from knowing how much we are loved. Wasn't that a great thought at the end there to breathe in his love and with that same breath, use that breath to speak love back to him? Wow. And when we experience being loved by him, we, we discover how intentional he is in the way he loves He is so intentional when he loves. He always loves from wisdom. And that means it provides invitation to transformation. Amen? You know, I love the fact that the ones that he loves are the the ones that he disciplines. He He is the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. And that it's not, his discipline is not a punishment. It's a, it's all about bringing us into a good place. And we looked at how our faith is the trust that we have in Jesus. The faith, that faith is visible because it's an expression of our, uh, it's expressed in our actions to, as we, we trust who Jesus says that he is. Who Jesus says that he is. Yeah. And, and, and who he says that he is for us. And that our trust in Jesus brings us into that place of rest and peace. And then, you know, so this love, faith, and hope, which um, hope we're going to talk about today, they all go together. They cross over. They, they blur together. They, they, they accompany each other. You really, we can't practice one without the other because they're all anchored in Christ. So hope, hope is a really interesting concept. For a lot of people, um, hope is like a wish. It's a, a desire for things to, to work out, you know, for a particular outcome to, to happen, for an ideal situation or an ambition. There's this, this hope attached with this desire of a particular outcome. You know, for some people, when they wake up on a morning, Monday morning, you know, they've got to stir themselves up in, in just the hope that the weekend is coming again soon. You know, <laughs> the um, Merriam-Webster dictionary describes hope like this. It says it's an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. You can't really say that one fast. But who knows, who knows there's a significant difference in how, the, in how the world and how believers should have hope. There's a big difference between how the, the world has hope and how us as believers should, should action hope. Because the, the world has love. Who knows that? The world has trust. The world has hope. But all of those in a worldly sense have limitations. And sometimes they've got a shelf life. They've got an expiry date. You know, because for a lot of people, love can switch to lovelessness. Uh, trust can become betrayal. Hope, hopelessness, in a moment. It can be either or all of those. 
You know, it could be like the Auckland weather. It chops and changes in one day. (laughs) Who's ever loved someone and then not loved them and then loved them again later that day? (laughs) Not sure why I instantly looked over there, but yeah. Okay, so, but for us as believers... As, as people of the way, as followers of Jesus, these words have really different, different applications. We can have certainty, we can have confidence because our love, our faith, or our trust, and our hope is woven into a personal relationship with a good father. A relationship we have through Jesus. A relationship that has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that means it's constant, steady, and unchanging. And so for us, hope is not, hope is not connected to an outcome. It's the outcome of a situation. It's, it's not, it's not circumstance-driven. Our hope isn't even in heaven because our hope is not about a destination. Our hope is anchored. It's anchored in the person of Jesus. And that right there is good news. Right there is good news. Hebrews 6.19 says that, um, when it's talking about hope, says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. So good. Bit of a sidetrack. Um, these days, the cross would be the most central icon of Christianity, Right? We've got a big one on the wall over there, if you haven't seen it before. Um, that's a cross. You know, um, some of you are probably wearing a necklace with a cross on right now. Some of the more religious ones might have a cross tattoo. <laughs> the spiritual ones, yeah. But, you know, for the early Christians, they had a whole lot of other icons they used to symbolize or communicate their faith. And so in the the Roman catacombs, you'd find things like this. Now, this is early, like 100, 400 AD stuff. Um, These, these, you'd find emblems like this in the the Roman catacombs on on the burial um, places of Christians. And the anchor was used as a symbol of their firm hope in Jesus Christ. And tradition says, or or theologians tell us, that's likely where they got this from, is that verse that we read earlier. They even use other symbols to communicate their their, um, faith, like a a fish. And um, tradition tells us that the name of this fish, I'm going to avoid pronouncing it, comes from a play on words. And it's an acronym for a whole bunch of Greek words that basically means taking the first letter of every word and you end up with Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. And actually, not a lot's changed in the way we communicate. You know, if anything, there's been a massive resurgence in using icons for communication, you know. We are a blessed world that we have emoticons, you know. That's like the modern-day Christian fish right there. (laughs) 
<laughs> and some people, they drive around, and you've probably seen this. Our roading system was like infiltrated with this, this, this form of communication a little while ago, and you still see it. Really useful information about their family, you know? It's so, it's so handy to know that that guy likes to windsurf. But then in reaction to that, <laughs> you get these ones, hey, where, <laughs> where people go to great lengths to communicate why they don't care about your stick family. There was, there was a whole bunch of other really awesome ones online, but they weren't church appropriate. Um, <laughs> but I encourage you to go Google when your kids aren't there and, um, yeah, look for the Utah one. You need a really big windscreen for that. So, <laughs> uh, so there's a bunch of others, you know, and they're quite funny. But anyway, back to hope. Um, we, we can because of Christ that had nothing to do with my mess by the way we can be completely steady in our hope amen but then this hope needs to actually look like something it's, it needs to be actioned it needs to be outworked and First uh, Peter 1.13 says with your minds ready for action be seriously, um, be serious, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's really interesting here is the King James version uses awesome language. It says, "Gird up the loins of your mind." Gird up the loins of your mind. Like, try and picture what that's like. Now, for us living in modern times, we don't actually understand what this means, right? We don't sort of walk through the mall and we see someone going past us with their um, loins girded up. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right language, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? We've got to be grateful for this modern day that we live in because YouTube has a massive resource library of helpful education videos. So I'm just going to play one so we can get context of what it means to gird up our loins. That's if the sound guy's ready. I can just see tops of heads, okay? <laughs> right, we might need those, outer, those edge lights done. Awesome, thank you. Okay, you ready? In ancient times in the Middle East, men traditionally wore a robe as part of their everyday attire. The robe is not to be confused with a dress or mumu. It was a practical adaptation from a desire to appear modest and to keep cool in a warm climate. This everyday attire, however, did present some practical challenges. For example, if he had to lift something heavy, requiring him to squat or to bend his legs, providing a strong lifting base, the robe would prove to be a limitation. Or if he wanted to play a game involving running or kicking a ball, the robe would limit his range of motion. Or if he were attacked by a wild animal. 
When he wanted to accomplish something difficult, these limitations led to the phrase, gird up your loins, or gird up your loincloth. First, a man would reach between his legs and grab the backside of his robe and pull it upward toward his waist. Next, the robe would be tucked into the man's belt, securing it. After a man would gird up his loins, he would have better mobility, like squatting to lift, running in place, kicking a ball, and standing in a wide stance defensive posture. Seeing a man who has girded up his loins was a common sight in the ancient world. Although able to move about with greater freedom, he looked ridiculous, as if he were wearing a diaper. This gave way to what we refer to as pants. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for the internet. <laughs> And for people that seem to have a lot of time on their hands. So that's what we're talking about. But you do that in your mind. <laughs> Peter tells us to be intentional, to focus our mind, to be alert, to, because hope is an issue of the soul. Who knows that? Hope, um, it's an issue of the mind. Our hope is set on the promises of God revealed in Jesus. And Jesus is the Father's visible oath to us. Have a think about that. Jesus is the Father's visible oath to us, the promise. The promise of a resurrected life. The example of what he is transforming us into. You know, I think... <laughs> I th- <laughs> Are you on YouTube looking up more of those? I think um, I think the way, way in which <laughs> I think the <laughs> I'm trying to move on nicely. I think the way in which we good up the loins of our mind. And set our hope on, on, you can tell who are the visual thinkers in the house, eh? <laughs> Sully's creativity is just exploding right now. <laughs> so I think the way in which we gird up the loins of our mind and set our hope on the promises of God is to just think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I think it's that simple. You know, we think about Jesus and we think about the fact that Jesus is resurrected. How, how good is that? That, that is flipping awesome. He's, he's alive. The, the resurrection of Jesus is massive. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that he has given us a new birth into a living hope. It's, it's not like a dead hope. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As he is, so will we be. And we have a promise of a resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, that chapter's all about this. You know, and it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that the, the fruit of sin was death. But in the resurrection of Christ, death loses its sting. 
Sin's lost its victory. And and the fruit of sin, which was death, is overwhelmed by the fruit of his righteousness. And it brings life. And it brings us this hope of eternal life with Christ. So good. Sin has lost its victory. And the fruit of sin, which was death, has been overwhelmed by the fruit of his righteousness. And we have life, eternal life. Another thing to think about with Jesus is he is victorious. He's victorious. Christus victor, the victory of Jesus. The conquering of the dominion of darkness with the the kingdom of heaven. You know, a fallen creation that that was at war against God. And it was destroyed by love. It was the reconnecting of God and humanity, of of restoration and wholeness. The life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus. You know, Hebrews 10 tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's not sitting down because he's tired. He's sitting down because he's done everything he needs to do. There is nothing more he could do to liberate creation, to restore humanity. Isn't that a great thought? This is how we ignite hope in our lives, by just dwelling on who Christ is and what he has done. And then it says says in Hebrews 10.13, he's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. So that leads us to thinking another thing about Jesus. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's resurrected. He's victorious. And he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's putting all enemies under his feet. It's really interesting when you think about it that he has now sat down. And in the, moment, in the same time, his enemies are still being put under his feet. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. It's the work of the Holy Spirit on the earth, outworking the completed work of Jesus. Bringing it to pass. And this happens in our life individually, corporately, and creationally. I don't know if that's a word. But creationally, there is this this restoration of all things outworking from his completed work. This is where our hope lies. When we think about all these things about Jesus, you know, there's a bunch more we could think about. It, it, it reminds us. It brings us to a point of, in our mind of, of remembrance that actually every problem is only temporary. And the hope of what's been established in Christ is certain. It's reliable. It's dependable. It cannot change. Isn't that a good thought? As we ponder Jesus, as we ponder who he is and what he has done, it leads us to this, that every problem is only temporary. What's the thing that robs us of hope? Problems. Or focus on our problems. So let's set our minds actively on this hope. 
meditate on Jesus, what, what we have in him and what the Holy Spirit is outworking in our lives. You know, and as we, as we steward hope, as we steward this engaging our mind, as we gird up the loins of our mind, and we, and we practice stewarding hope by focusing on who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has completed and what the Holy Spirit is outworking, we become hopeful people, which by translation means that you're full of hope. And it's the same concept with love, talking about in Philippians that we did in, the, in week one of this. Like it fills up and then overflows. We should be so full of hope that it overflows into those around us. Full of hope, full of assurance, full of confidence in the promises and the completed work of Christ. We become so anchored in Christ that as the, the storms of life sweep through, and they do, who knows that the storms of life do come. But because we become so anchored in Christ, we remain steady, and that has an effect on the world around us. Amen? But there's, there's also this reality where sometimes the storm of life can be unsettling, and we feel like that we've lost anchor which is not true, we just feel like it. But the anchor's still there because Christ hasn't gone anywhere and his, his job is complete. So don't believe that feeling. But sometimes we do feel like that, eh? Sometimes the storm can rage and we can't see anything but the storm swirling around us. And we can't, and it can be hard to keep our hope. It can be hard to see the promises of God. It can be hard to see the other side of a problem because of the storm. But the good news is that we're a body and we're a family. And we're called to encourage and build each other up. Amen? We're called to to love and care for one another. We're called to be kind to each other. We're called to be pastoral towards each other. Community is what pulls all this together. Community is the environment where all the characteristics of love, faith, and hope have opportunity to flourish. It's where we get to practice, to learn, to develop. As we, as we you know, it's, it's a process, isn't it? It's a process of knowing how much we are loved and becoming that love. It's a process of, of learning to trust in who Jesus is. And it's a, it's a process of learning how to anchor in our hope and set our minds, good our, our minds on, on the hope that we have in Christ. And that's where we need each other. Because there's this, this tension that we live in between the completed work of Jesus being finished and the completed work of Jesus being outworked. Jesus' work is finished in both of those, but one of them, it's finished. In other words, we're experiencing it and living in it tangibly, and the other one is we're, we're coming into it. It's being outworked in us. And it's in the middle of this tension that, as believers, we should shine the most. Where there is a place for hatred to flourish, we choose to love. Amen? Who knows that we have to practice learning to choose that? Because hatred or, or lovelessness, sometimes it's not hatred, dislike maybe, um, 
you know, that, that is, can be connected to strong emotions. But in the middle of that emotion, we have to choose, no, I'm loving. Where there's a place for distrust or unfaithfulness, we, we, get, to, we get to choose to be agents of faith and trust. And Kevin Tribes talked about this before, trusting the God that's in someone. Isn't that a neat concept? I'm not going to trust you anymore because you let me down, or am I going to trust the God that's in you who's transforming you? Where there's hopelessness, anxiety, or worry, we get to choose to be the ones who dig into hope. Dig deep into hope. And we can't do it alone. Amen? We need each other. We need to remind each other to have a better thought in those middles of those storms, right? Sometimes we're the encourager, and other times we're the one that needs the encouragement. Because all of us have storms. But our goal should become, should be about, you know, as we practice these things, our goal should ultimately become to learn to be a people who love with wisdom and understanding and learning to love well. A people of faith and trust in God. A people of hope anchored in Christ. And in that process of practicing that and being on the journey of becoming and learning how to do that really well, the world sees something. Because we behave in a, in a way that is contrary to the world. You know, we become people that, that love in a way that doesn't fluctuate. We become people who trust in a way that doesn't fluctuate. We become people that hope in a, in a way that doesn't fluctuate based on circumstances or situations or the tides of life because we're so anchored in Christ. It communicates something amazing to the world. And it's much better than a emoticon. The world will encounter an experience of people that point to Jesus. Wow. It sounds big, eh? And it sounds like, wow, that's a big task. But this is just. 101 being a new creation. This is us just learning how to be the new creation in Christ, you know? And he wouldn't have, you know, it's, it's us discovering our true identity and our true nature in him. And so it's, it's not hard. It's a journey of becoming. And it's a journey we get to do together. Let's stand, eh? Silently, Janelle. (laughs) You know, Jesus is the Father's visible oath to us. Isn't that a great thought? Here's what the promise looks like. What a hope we have.
what I hope we have. Just shut your eyes for a moment. You know, when, when you were born again, you know the world increased in hope. When you were born again, the world increased in hope. You're the, you're the birth of the Father's oath made through Christ. You carry hope. And you know, this morning, you might never have ever had an experience with that hope that's in Jesus. And you know, this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to connect with that hope that Jesus has for you. So we're going to, just a moment, we're going to have our ministry team come up the front to pray for anyone who wants prayer. This morning, if you'd like to say yes to the hope that Jesus has for you, I want to invite you to come up and just be prayed for. And right now, too, if you want to reignite just your mind set on hope itself, I encourage you to come up and just be ministered to. If our ministry team want to come, that'd be cool. If right now you're feeling that you're in the middle of a storm and you can't see the promises of God in your life and you can't, you don't feel like hope is there and you feel like you've disconnected from an anchor. Now's your time to just partner with someone in the family and let them encourage you and speak hope into you. Yeah, let's pray, eh? Father, we just thank you for the promises that you have given us. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. What he, is, he has fully revealed to us the, the promise you have for us. Thank you, Father, that we can be certain, we can be confident in the hope that we have in you. Father, we just thank you for this journey that you have us on as as learning to become a family that love well, that trust well, that hope well. As As we present something to the world that points to Jesus, that points to his finished work. And we thank you that you are outworking that finished work in us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.